And all of God's children said, Amen. Earlier this year, we began to hear reports about a virus, a virus that was highly contagious and spreading through China. It took the lives of so many there, so authorities took radical steps to help curb the spread. Watching and listening to the news, it seemed a world away from us, didn't it? But then we began the month of March in 2020, and everything changed. In the second week of that month, all but one state had confirmed cases of the coronavirus. The outbreak was relatively small, about 3,000 cases, and 60 of our citizens died. The whole country then took unprecedented steps to address this invisible threat. Professional and college sports suspended seasons. Broadway went dark. Disney shut down all of its theme parks. Colleges, universities, and schools said students would not come back until the fall. Churches closed. Nursing homes and assisted living centers were placed in lockdown. They wouldn't allow anyone to visit any of the patients there. Family members had to speak through the windows on a cell phone. Essential workers and other services kept functioning to help supply people. But in essence, our country had closed down. All of this uncertainty spread fear and drove concerns and hoarding of all kinds of supplies. Workers soon began to be laid off in droves, and within weeks, almost 30 million people were unemployed. And while some took the virus seriously, others called it a hoax, an overreaction to something they called just a stronger case of the flu. Yet we continued to witness a spreading of the virus, overwhelming hospitals and staff. The virus was driving a huge need for ventilators in record numbers, a need for PPE, N95 masks, hand sanitizer, and even limited space to treat those who were sick. By the time the summer came, it was still with us, but places began to open up again with some restrictions. You had to wear masks, social distancing, you had to wash your hands. We were virtual through the end of June in our worship services. I tried as I shared my messages to offer hope that God was and is with us even in the midst of this pandemic. Now, I took some numbers from this last week on Wednesday when I did my sermon, so these numbers have changed. So 209 people have been tested. I know that's more than that. 15 million positive cases. We know it's more than that now. Over 107,000 people hospitalized, and we're close to 300,000 deaths. We've had more deaths due to coronavirus than we ever had losing our American soldiers in World War II. When we look at our faith in the scriptures, we hear and read of pandemics and plagues in there as well. Pestilence mentioned over 50 times. But we know that people of Jesus' time and earlier didn't know about germs that caused disease. Whenever they were faced with an outbreak of sickness, they concluded that this rapid spread must be the work of God. It's not surprising that we would hear that today as well. The virus and the pandemic must be the will of God, people tell us. They wanna, God wants to punish us or teach us or bring the good out of us. And I want to be very clear to you today that I do not believe any of that. We understand viruses today because of doctors and researchers and scientists. We have vaccines that are being shipped out as I speak. 
And were it not for those same researchers and scientists and doctors, we wouldn't have them. I mean, if you believe that this virus is from God, then those same researchers, doctors, and scientists would be fighting against God, right? Again, I do not believe God sent this virus. God is with us in the midst of all of this, doing what God does. Comforting, leading, consoling, bringing good from adversity, bringing good from pain that we're going through. We know that the world has changed in so many ways for the good. We know that there is tragedy and death, but our lives are not without hope. Our lives are not without goodness. Our lives are not without love. So what does a pandemic have to do with Advent and Christmas anyway? I've been going through and preaching through Adam Hamilton's book, The Incarnation. So we're in the third week of this, and he does ask a very good question for all of us to consider. What does all of this have to do with Advent and Christmas anyway? Well, as we read in our scripture, we know that fear is there. Fear is in the air all around us, just as it was in the scriptures. Within those pages of that book, we hear the words, do not be afraid, 365 times, one for every day of the year. Over 100 times we have heard those words from God, an angel, a prophet, even from Jesus himself. Why should we not be afraid? Because God is always with us. This is a response that is at the heart of the Christmas story. It's the essence of the incarnation. The God who has always been with his people came to us in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Matthew cited the words of Isaiah more than any other book in the New Testament. Matthew made the connection between Isaiah and the meaning of Christmas by pointing to that one name, Emmanuel. Why did Matthew refer to Jesus that way? And what does it mean for us to call Jesus Emmanuel today? Isaiah's prophecy about the young woman giving birth to a child happened during King Ahaz's reign. The child whose name was Emmanuel, meaning God is with us was a living sign, a living sign of God's promise to Ahad that God was with him and that God would protect him and the people of Judah. Isaiah was one of the most important pieces of scripture for Jesus. As Jesus read it for his time, so we read it for ours, as we see how God worked in and through the life of Jesus. That's how Matthew read it as well. The promise of a child called Emmanuel was realized in the birth of Jesus. If you read Matthew in the very beginning, he doesn't say much about the birth except these words, she had born a son. He spends time in the story on other elements like Joseph's dream. Matthew in telling of the birth draws on the image of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. While Isaiah's prophecy and words were about an ordinary child, for Matthew, the first Emmanuel was a foreshadowing, if you will, of Jesus. 
Matthew emphasizes Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit as a way of pointing to his own unique identity. By pointing to that identity, Matthew is saying Jesus is both son of man and son of God. We hear God actually say this, is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The devil tempts Jesus saying, if you are the son of God. Demons, when they encounter Jesus, can't help but identify who he is. So throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus is shown to be the son of God and do the things we would expect God to do. Heals the sick, opens the eyes of the blind, forgives the sinners, feeds the multitudes, and even raises the dead. He walked on water, calmed the storm, cast out demons, and conquers death. None of this was true for Emmanuel of Isaiah's day. God is with us in this Emmanuel, names Jesus. When we speak about the incarnation, that is the word taking flesh. God became human in Jesus, but not just human, but God in the flesh. Jesus experienced what each and every one of us experience in our lives. Temptation and love, hunger, rejection, joy, fear, friendship, grief, doubt. He wept, he bled, he suffered, and he died. There's something profound, I think, in understanding that Jesus, Son of Man and Son of God, experienced what we experience. When people, especially caregivers, share that they have walked in our shoes, for example, knowing our pain, they have survived the darkness, doesn't it give us hope when we hear them tell that story that it makes a difference in how we approach those similar circumstances? That is what's so powerful about the incarnation. God didn't just imagine what it was like to be human. He sent his son to experience all of it. Jesus knew the smell of rain in the summer, the joy of sharing with friends. He saw the beauty of the sunrise and the sunset. He experienced grief, grief that comes from the death of a friend and a loved one. Jesus laughed, he he cried, he got angry. He experienced all those things. And when we pray and pour our hearts out, it's not like we're sharing it with someone who has no idea what's happening, has no idea what we're going through. The word made flesh, the incarnation, knows. Adam Hamilton shares thoughts about a song from 1995 about written by Jane Joan Osborne called, What If God Was One of Us? The chorus goes like this. What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home? Hamilton believes that this is a a Christmas carol, if you will, which captures the essence of the gospel message. The song asks the question, if God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? If you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? If God had a face, what would it look like? And would you want to see it if seeing meant that you would have to believe in things like heaven and in Jesus and in the saints and all the prophets? 
Often I've been asked if there really is a God and why doesn't God show himself? That's usually followed up by, have you ever seen God, Pastor? For me, it's, it's pretty simple and I often say, just look around. The changing of the leaves each year, the flowers that bloom in the spring, birds that sing. God created the universe and all that is in it. The essence of God saturates all that's out there. It sustains it and holds it all together. At one point, we know that Moses said to God, show me your glory. And God said, basically, you know what, Moses, you could never survive that experience. How many times have you viewed an eclipse of the sun? How many times have you been told, don't look directly at it? Because you could seriously damage the nerves in your eyes. It's been said that the universe contains between 200 and 2 trillion galaxies, each containing a billion stars like the sun. So when we say, show us your glory, God, God's probably actually saying to us, really? Have you looked around a little bit? Jesus says, whomever has seen me has seen the Father. I tell you, we have to open our eyes, especially in the midst of this pandemic, in this tough next two or three months, so that we can point to the glory of God for all people to see. We need to embrace this kind of perspective because when we do, we're truly embracing the true meaning of Emmanuel. God is with us. Matthew's gospel begins with Emmanuel and ends with Jesus saying, I will be with you until the end of the age. Jesus continues to be with us and because we believe he is with us, we are called to live differently. We have peace. We're given strength. We are to continually seek to walk with him as he walks with us. Because God is with us, we need not fear. The incarnation is God putting flesh on the promise of being with us. We've all had moments when we've been pushed to the brink of saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm out of here. I can remember in serving one church, that's exactly where I was at as a pastor a wide-eyed pastor recently graduated from seminary, full of the gospel. I ran headlong into a wall of people for whom the status quo had more to do with them than Jesus. I can remember one particular Sunday when I really didn't want to be there, didn't want to preach, didn't think I had anything to say. And as I always do, I walk up to the front, to the altar railing, and I face the cross, and I bowed my head in prayer. I don't remember what I prayed other than I said to God, you know what I'm going to through right now? I trust your promise to get through this day and the next one and the next one. And as my eyes were still closed, I noticed a light source on my right side. At first, I thought it was the sun coming in the stained glass window on my right, but there was no light coming in from that window. And in fact, that light seemed to form almost a human being, if you will, right next to me. It was another moment in my faith when I heard those words, I am with you until the end of the age. The only way I can describe that experience is if you've ever had the experience of having your eye pushed in and that all of a sudden all the light comes up. That's what it was, although I wasn't touching my eyes. I heard those words, I am with you 
I am with you. And God and Christ are with you too. Jesus came to incarnate God's presence and God's love to all of us. But before he left earth, he called you and I to do the same in his name. Followers of Jesus are intended to put flesh on the invisible God, to incarnate God for the world. We are to be Christ's flesh in the world. We're to be the body of Christ. We're to be the ongoing incarnation, the word made flesh of God to everyone we meet. So Jesus as God is with us. Because he is Emmanuel, he knows all of our struggles, our pain, our joy, our sorrow. As Emmanuel, he seeks to remind you and I that he is with us always, and you don't need to be afraid. He calls you to go in his name to incarnate God's love to other people. My prayer for all of us in the midst of this ongoing pandemic and all we are experiencing is that God would use us to be Emmanuel to everyone around us, to everyone who's in need and don't know who he is, that we might incarnate his love and grace to everyone we meet. Who do you know that needs to hear Christ's words? Who do you know that needs to see Christ in the flesh? How can you be that word made flesh for the people around you and in our community, especially in this time of pandemic, especially in this time of fear and anxiety? How can you share the words, do not be afraid, and then share the promise of Christ, I will be with you always. I encourage you to pray this week about one person that you can reach out to to let them know that they're loved, they're cared, that God is with them, even in the midst of all of the difficulty they may be experiencing, and especially in this pandemic. Amen.